Welcome back to Thinking About It. I'm here with Dr. Stan Fowler. And Stan, we've got a very interesting topic that uh, we need to talk about today in light of what is happening in a lot of churches, uh, expressing themselves in homes. And the question that, uh, in fact, you you brought this up as part of a broader issue, that there's a a movement towards theological ignorance, or at least a de-emphasis on theology, especially ecclesiology, the doctrine of the church, what is the church, what constitutes the church, and is a gathering in, in a home, or in particular a family meeting in a home, is that a church? So can we spend some time unpacking that? Oh, I, th- I think we could profitably spend some time on that one, Bob. Yeah, this is, sure. this is a good time to do it. So, so Stan, um, maybe we need to say, well, what is, what is the irreducible minimum of a church? And why can't we look at a father and a mother and five or six children worshiping in their home? Why, why can't that be a church? Well, I think what we'd have to say is if that individual nuclear family were the only believers in a in a given region, well, they'd have to do what they could do. But if there are other believers, in fact, who are regionally accessible, who are in reasonably close proximity, if there are other believers with whom they could meet, then then they need to recognize that the church is more than just individuals who, are, who want to be disciples of Christ. It, Christ came to create a community of believers. And, and if, they, if they say, well, it's just my family and that's the church, they're, they're, number one, they're, they're cutting themselves off from what the church is designed to be as a, as a family, an extended family. So I I doubt that we could say there's an irreducible number that you must have to be called an ecclesia, a local congregation. I mean, that will vary. And and certainly there are are house churches that are real churches, but but it's not just an individual family who happen to live in the house. So, I mean, a, a house church might have 20, 30, even more people. Uh, it depends on what culture you're in. And maybe in. six families. And maybe six families. And frankly, um, <laughs> there are a lot of congregations in Canada meeting in church buildings who don't have any more than that. Mm-hmm. I mean, that, that is the way it is in some, in some dying congregations. In fact, our church plant that, we, that is starting this week might not have more than six or seven families and all the kids you get together and a few individuals. That's a real church, though. But, but it's a real church. It's, it's a gathering of God's people of, of various ages. It, it's, a, it's a, as you've said before, a family of families. It's an extended family. And if, if an individual family, nuclear family, says, we're just going to be our church— they they are cutting themselves off from ministry from the wider community of believers that they need. I mean, it makes no sense at all for every nuclear family to say, we we can do all the Bible teaching that's necessary mm-hmm. right here in our family. We 
we have all the abilities necessary to do that. Do you think the same attitude can prevail in a small church that says, you know, we've got everything that we need. We're a small church of 55 people. Um, we don't need the broader church. You can have that same attitude. Sure. Yeah, it's another another problem of the, of the same attitude. When When Paul talks about the body of Christ, and we're all members of it, mm-hmm. And and we all need each other, and we need to contribute to each other. He he is talking about more than the local church. I mean, in in First Corinthians twelve, when he when he develops that metaphor at great length, he says of himself and the Corinthians, "We have all been baptized in one spirit, resulting in one body." Well, Paul wasn't a part of the church at Corinth in an ongoing way, and yet they were all part of one body. So yeah, there are you, you can you can take it up one level and say there are some small churches who don't understand their need for a connection to the wider body of Christ. We all need each other, and I mean I think it's important to recognize that when in in Hebrews ten twenty five and the um, the well known verse about not forsaking, not neglecting, or abandoning, or assembling together. I'll be technical here. That a, not a, not neglecting is that's a participle, which is modifying the exhortations that precede it, which are exhortations about drawing near to God, mm-hmm. holding fast to our faith, and stimulating one another to love and good deeds. That's why we gather, and that individual family who may say, "Well, we're just going to be the church. We don't need that wider connection." They're they're cutting themselves off from the the reinforcement that's needed, so that their those parents need their kids to recognize we aren't the only family that believes these things. Mm-hmm. There's a reason to gather as an extended family. I remember once in a ministry of mine, there was a family who felt that way, and they didn't like the idea that uh, someone other than mom and dad would be teaching their children gifted people that God had given to the church, but not for my kids. They wanted to be the only ones. And so the kids would sit in the auditorium being taught by the pastor, but they wouldn't allow anyone else to teach them. And it's because they had this idea that the family, it's important, obviously, but that the family was more than just a family to them, more than just a discipleship unit. They really viewed their family in retrospect as a church. Yeah, I think, they, and that fails to recognize that that Scripture uses the language of household to describe something more than the nuclear household. In fact, I, I, I'm not an expert on this, but I think it's probably accurate to say that that this focus on the nuclear family as sort of what the family really is all about is a modern Western development. I, I think throughout history, the whole sense of, of the clan and the extended family has, has been very prominent. But what we have, and, and, and I guess in the modern Western world, is a kind of hyper-individualism. Mm-hmm. Well, I guess individualism would put it down to the, the one person rather than the family. But in, in some ways, it's the same kind of phenomenon, I think, the, this, this hyper localism that says my nuclear family is what it's all about. I don't need any more than that. 
I mean, surely we all recognize that with our blood relatives. I, I certainly realize it now. Our, we've been trying to force the question with our kids and grandkids, is there any way that we could actually all get together again at Thanksgiving this year? Yeah. And it's it's probably not going to happen. We're We're going to have a big family Zoom call at Thanksgiving and hope we can work out something better by Christmas time. But but there's something really missing. And you recognize the need for that, uh, Grandpa and all of the years and just that intergenerational dynamic of the family. You you lose that if you say, us four and no more. Yeah, I mean, I, I can communicate with, with my grandsons, let's say, via Zoom, but I can't wrestle with them via Zoom. That's a I, shame. I can't throw them into the pool or you be thrown into the pool. And and those things are necessary. You know, we like to emphasize here at Grandview that the home isn't just a flop house, that the home is an uh, essential part of the church. And there's a sense in which the the church should look like the home a little bit. And so, Dad, you are, in a sense, a pastor. You are shepherding your children. And Mom, maybe you are... I, I, if you want to use the church office as a deacon, he's the, the elder, and together you you lead the children. So it's good to think that way, but the, it becomes a problem when that becomes all that the church is. Yes, I, I mean, I think we've rightly emphasized that um, ongoing ministry and discipling, worship, those things, they need to occur in the context of the nuclear family. But it's it's reductionistic to say, and it's frankly, I think, catastrophic ultimately to say that, okay, that's the totality of what we're talking about. Because the family then cuts itself off, cuts itself off from the gifts of the wider body of Christ that they need. And, and also it cuts them off from their possibility of ministering to the wider body of Christ. Um, so a good thing namely a focus on the local unit, the nuclear family, can become a bad thing if, if, it, if it's taken to be that as opposed to uh, the wider extended family. Is there, uh, and I don't want to put you on a spot here, but um, is there a, a verse that in, right, in context that clearly establishes what we're talking about here, that the church cannot be? reduced just to a nuclear family that, that cannot be a church? Is there a, a, a real passage that, that deals with that that you can think of off the top of your head? Or Well... I know it's something that is kind of... Yeah. Uh, it's, it seeps through all the New Testament, and maybe you have to study the whole epistles of Paul to really come down to that, but... I'm not sure we really find a biblical text that addresses it head-on, because I, I think what you have is the assumption that that the ecclesia, the assembly, is more than an individual family. Uh, when when Paul talks about the household of God in First Timothy 3, mm-hmm. he's clearly talking about more than a nuclear right. family. He's talking about that community in which there are elders and deacons who need to be recognized and appointed to mm-hmm. that task. He's talking about, clearly talking about something much broader. An exhortation like Hebrews ten twenty five to to not neglect assembling together wouldn't have a lot of meaning right. 
if it's just a family. If, if, if you know, you, you don't need to say to a nuclear family who all live within the same four right. walls, you really need to meet together. Yeah. I mean, you're there. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's not as if there's a choice about that. So I, I think the... I'm not sure. I, I'd be great to have a good proof text on this one. I'm not sure we have one. But it, you're right. It's assumed. And when Paul talks about the older women teaching the younger women, that kind of implies that it's more than just a nuclear family. Yeah, they they have to find ways to connect and and be together. I just find it, uh, I mean, it's the, there's this recent survey that you alluded to when we started done in the USA which argued that 39% of people who could be identified as evangelicals believe worshiping alone or with one's family is a valid replacement for regularly attending church. Mm-hmm. Now, I mean, we both know we have, we have seen trends over the last little while toward redefining what regular church attendance means, what, what once meant I'm there every Sunday and now mm-hmm. means something like, well, I don't know, maybe every other week if you're really committed uh, for many people. I, but it is a bit astonishing. Now, there's a lot to be said about that particular survey, and one is identifying these evangelicals. Um, there are four questions. If people say yes to all of them, then for purposes of that survey, they're counted as evangelical Christians. I think others have shown that if, if you include actually attend church— uh, things change mm-hmm. in such surveys. Mm-hmm. I suspect that if we're talking about people who say yes to those questions, who actually attend church with anything like regularity, they might not say that. But, you know, we live in a in a culture in which um, the sense of community often disappears, and maybe we're, we take individualism to an extreme. And we think eh, it, it's all about me and Jesus, and I don't need to worry about right. The and the rest. notion of membership, people don't understand that. Why do I need to join this? I'm here. You know, why do we even need to be married? We're living together. We love each other. So there's this aversion to formal identification with anything. Yeah, I think you and I have talked about that before, um, but we're beating that horse again, and maybe it needs to be beaten again. Well, we just took another swipe at it. We did. <laughs> well, Stan, we're out of time. As always. Uh, but uh, let's, let's just keep at the work of building the church, strengthening the family, encouraging this intergenerational enrichment, and uh, pray that God will give us a real season of healthy church life in the days to come. I'm Bob McGregor. And I'm Stan Fowler. Thanks for thinking about it with us. 